Okay, people. So it is a new episode of Echo Chamber, right? The festival stuff is popping off, but you know, we always come with the original. And as we do, people, we will start things off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 16th to the 18th of June. So, yeah, last week, right at number 10, holding on, it's the Super Mario Brothers movie from director Matthew Fogel. No, Fogel wrote it, right? Sorry. Aaron Horovich and Michael Jelinek directed we got voice cast of chris pratt charlie day anna taylor joy jack black kevin michael richardson kiari payton charles marinette sebastian moriscano at number nine it's the boogeyman right this is um from rob savage Right, written by Mark Heyman, Brian Woods, and Scott Beck. Yep, yep. Funny, it's a Stephen King adaptation, people. Mm-hmm. It is starring Sophie Thatcher, Chris Messina, Vivian Lyra Blair, David Deshmacallan, Marin Island, Madison Hugh. At number eight, it is... Fast X. Do, 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 do. Louise Lettner directs. Gary Scott Thompson, Justin Lin, and Dan Mazu write the script. We got Vin Diesel, Jordana Brewster, Michelle Rodriguez, Ludacris, Ludacris Jason Momoa, John Cena, Jason Stephen, Rita Moreno, Helen Mirren, Brie Larson, Charlie Ferron, Alan Richson. Tyrese all doing their thing. So uh, that means still doing its thing at number seven, people. It is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. James Gunn directs and writes. Chris Pratt, Zoe Salanda, Dave Batista, Vinny Diesel again. Bradley Cooper, Karen Gillian, Pom Clamith, Elizabeth DeBecky, Sean Gunn, Sylvester Stallone, Will Pewter, Chikawi Eodu, all, uh, yeah, bring their talents to the fore, right? At number six, we have got um, Adi Purush. Mm-hmm. I know nothing of this. Um, I think it's a Bollywood Right, it's Om Ruat, who directs and co-writes with Marujo Muntashia. Um, <coughs> apologies, people. Saif Ali Khan, Kriti Sanon, um, Debuta Naj, Vastal Shif, all-star. So we are now in the top five. And at number five, people, we looked at it last week. It is Greatest Days from Kuki Goodrich, written by Tim Firth, Ashlyn Bay, Matthew McNally, Alice Lowe, Emma Amos, Laura McDonald, Isabella Bernardo, 
Ziggy Heath, Mark Wooten, Christina Sherman, Jade Adams, Amaka Okafor, George Cobell, uh, Barry O'Connor, Emmett Bryan, Alfredo Tavas, Eliza Dobson, Lindsay Bennett-Thompson, Matthew Kuhn, all do their thing. At number four, it's Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Right, so Stephen Capel Jr. directs, Joby Harold, Darnell Metur, and Josh Peters write the script. It is starring Michelle Yu, Pete Davidson, Coleman Domingo, Peter Dingage, Christo Fernandez, Ron Perlman, Anthony Ramos, Peter Cullen, John DiMaggio, Michaela J, Rodriguez, Luna Lauren Valles. Yeah, all doing their thing. Dominic Fishback is up in there as well. Right at number three, it is The Little Mermaid, the live action adaptation. Rob Marshall directs and co writes with John DeLuca and David McGee, Hale Bailey, Jonah Hua King, Melissa McCarthy, Javier Badum, Jude Akawadik, Norma Dumenzi. Kadja Muhammad, Lorena, Andrea David Diggs, Aquafina, all do their thing. At number two is Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, right? Um, Justin K. Thompson, Kemp Powers, and Hakim Dosanios direct. Dave Callahan, Christopher Miller, and Phil Lloyd on script. Shamik Moore, Halle Stansfield, Oz, Oscar Isaac, Jake Johnson, Isa Ray, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Valles again, Rachel Drack, Daniel Kulua, Taryn Kilman, all bring their voices to the piece. And that number one, hey, a load of comic books up in there this week. And that number one is stuff. Lash. Andy Malascano directs Joby Harold again and Christina Hobson on the writing. Uh, we have got Ezra Miller, Michael Keaton, Ben Affleck, Sasha Kale, Antaj True, Michael Shannon, Kersey Clemens, Tamura Morrison, Ron Livingstone. Oh man, a load of people right so that is the top 10 people we have four films for you let's get it popping okay people so we have a few horrors and um we start off with an 80s inspired one it is she comes from the woods Okay, so the good people at Alternate Current hit me up with this new indie flick. It is called She Came From The Woods. It is directed by Eric Bloomquist, who co-wrote it with 
Carson Bloomquist, keeping it in the family, it would seem. Uh, it is produced by Carson and Eric, along with William Sadler, Adam Wepler, Cara Buno, and associate produced by Andrew Grenhard. Tim Williams handles the music. Mike Magellanic, cinematography. Uh, both Carson and Eric edit the feature. Shane Medar is on production design. Tammy Gibbons, costume design. Hair and makeup, we have got Tressa Cotone, Mercedes McCoy, and Amanda Pepin. Corey Azanovsky handles production management. And our cast. Well, we have got William Sadler as Gilbert McAllister. His daughter, Heather, is played by Cara Buno. Um, she's got two sons. There is Peter, played by Spencer List. And his older brother, Sean, played by Tyler Elliott Burke. Uh, Peter is dating Lauren Davis, played by Claire Foley, uh, who also has a brother there called Ben, played by Dan Lee. Uh, some of the other counsellors at the camp are Dylan, played by Adam Welpler. Uh, there's Mike, played by Ehad Bershia. Uh, Veronica, played by Giselle Torres. Ashley, played by Sienna Hubbard-Ross. Danny, played by Eric Bloomquist. Kelly, played by Emily Keefe. Um, then it's the kids. Right, so we've got Martha, played by Tess Santanesario. Tommy, played by Declan Foley. Dennis, played by Coulter Ibance. Um, we have got um, Agatha, played by Madeline Dewar. Uh, the pizza delivery guy, played by Corey Ansafowski. Uh, we have got uh, Officer Matthews, played by Michael Park. There's Deputy Barrett, played by Cody Bosia. Um, there's a young Heather in it, played by Juliana Davis. Um, a younger version of Gilbert, played by Carson Bloomquist. Evelyn is played by Emily Raffala. And Amy is played by Alice Kremelberg. Okay, so the gist is this. Egged on by Peter, the prodigal grandson of camp's owner Gilbert McAllister, a group of teen camp counsellors, accidentally summoned a spirit of the dead nurse who terrorized the camp with her occult experiments 40 years earlier. Now the camp's counselors 
and the McAllister family that owns the campgrounds must fight for their lives on the last night of camp. So there you go. Now, accidentally, mm, I don't know if we're saying that, right? Because they did it with full intent. Now, they may not have believed it would happen, but, you know, they did do a ceremony. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we open up with a young Heather. We don't know it's her at first. She's running through the woods. And we just, you know, we hear noises and it's all very sinister. She hides and then a shadow falls over and she screams. Then we jump to present day, right? So camp is finishing. The kids are all running around. They're about to do a production. It's all of this, but it's showing that, you know, the kids are all cocky, right? You've got the counsellors who are all, you know, trying to hook up before everyone goes home. There's a load of different stuff going on. One of the counsellors is, like, supposedly 30, though they all look the same age, you know? And, yeah, then they do this summoning, and it all goes crazy. Now, this is meant to be set in 1987, right? It's a throwback to your teen slashers, you know, taking a lot of influences from some of those horror mainstays like Friday the 13th, you know, Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Nightmare on Elm Street, just all of that jazz, right? And... Yeah, I mean, feel-wise, it kind of works as an 80s flick. You get the sense it is, you know, it's a little bit older, right? A bit older. Story-wise, it feels like it is all over the place. Feels like it's all over the place. It doesn't ever, because it's meant to be like this horror comedy. It, it never really jumps into that comedy lane. You know, it, like the comedy elements are like little kids going, hey, just ask the girl out. What are you? You know, a pussy. Right? That's the comedy. It's little kids calling adults names and, and, and stuff like that. And... Yeah, it doesn't, it didn't really work for me, right? We've seen a slew of 80s remakes, 80s remakes or odes to that period, you know? Sometimes it works, right? Most of the time, it does not, right? Two of the most successful being... Um, well, I mean, Top Gun Maverick, right? Definitely, that was awesome. And Psycho Gorman, that Shudder original, which was a great, fun piece. Kids v. Alien isn't bad, you know? 
But most of the time, the problem is, right, there is a thing about 80s flicks. It was made in a time, right? We didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have the internet. Not everyone had computers, right? You'd go to the video store, Betamax and VHS, right? Vinyl records, tapes. That was what was going down. So we didn't know, like, super graphics and all of that. So, like, there's a lot of stuff that you were just like, yeah, that's really fucking cool. Uh, because that was as good as it had been. I remember like things like Sensible Soccer and the first FIFA. And you thought those graphics were insane. Right? <laughs> now you have stuff that looks like an actual friggin' film. You know, and that's not a cutscene. That's actual game footage. So there was a load of things that would work when it came to film and storytelling. There's, you know, that was the peak of what it was at that time. So going back to that, it doesn't work to try and go, oh, this was a joke that worked back then. Let's just do more of that. No, right? Because it worked for a reason, right? So you can tonally create something but you have to make it seem like it makes sense and just so many times with these things we get films and tv shows that do not make sense right we don't know why the fuck are these idiots trying to do this summoning Right, because this is like, oh, we've tried it before, but now we worked out why and how did you work out how? Right? None of that's ever explained. And I think things like that help get you up in this shit. Right? There's a bit when everything is going crazy and Heather's like um she shouts out, No, no one goes out on their own. But at that point, I think, what, two, three of them had all gone out on their own. And she didn't say a thing when they were like, OK, I'll go here. I'll go here. I'll go. And, she's, and then it's just like, no, no, no. Everyone must stay together. So it's just like, wait, what? Huh? If you're on fire. Right. If you're on fire. Firstly, you know your lungs would probably be burnt. <laughs> so you're not talking. And, you know, definitely not talking clearly. And your face ain't blistering instantaneously. So there's just been these things that you're just like, wait, what? And then there's the stuff that goes down. And you're just like, I'm, no one's doing that. Right, there's just people doing things, and you're just like, even in the friggin' eighties, you know, ain't people had more sense than to do that shit. You just, it, yeah, some very peculiar things going down, right? Like you clearly understand that something's a trap, but they're just not taking 
any sort of precautions. It's very odd. I don't, it's like, uh, with, with something like this, you can't really blame the cast because, you know, they've been given directions. Someone is going, cut, great. That's the scene, you know? And so there's an issue with, like, the portrayals and everything like that, right? You don't ever get a sense of fear from people because instead of acting scared and being anxious, shouting is utilized to kind of show fear, right? And, and so there's a load of scenes of everyone just shouting, Right. And it's just like, okay, you might be shouting, but that doesn't make us believe any of this shit is going down. Right. It's, it's, it's just, you know, when you have all these people that supposedly know what's going on, but then they're still standing around while certain things happen, it's just like, huh? Like people could get saved, but instead of that, they just stand and gulp. It is, it's weird. It's weird, right? It, it, in some ways, it reminded me of Slumber Party Massacre, right? Came out at the end of 2021. You know, we covered it on the podcast. I cannot remember what episode, people. Um, and... Then on Netflix, we had the Fear Street trilogy, yeah, which, again, we covered, you know, those I enjoyed, you know, and I think they captured the tone a lot better than this did. Slumber Party Massacre did. The problem with Slumber, Slumber Party Massacre was that it tried to insert all, um, you know, the craziest stuff from now. Right, so they wanted to be all trendy and subversive, right? Be like, don't talk to a woman like that. Oh no, this is, and you're just like, wait. When someone's chasing you, you're going to stop and say shit. Come on now, what are we doing here? You know, there's a load of silliness like that, and yeah, but I think it again kind of fit the tone better. Right, the Fear Street being the best um, version of that, I think. But yeah, if you know those eighties throwback pieces, if that's your thing, then this could work for you. You know, so yeah, think Slumber Party Massacre, the re the recent remake. Right, think that. And if you're cool with that kind of thing, but not as funny, even though Slumber Party Massacre wasn't really funny, right? But definitely not as funny and not executed as well. But if that, see, if you think that works for you, people, then I would say She Came From The Woods is something you want to check out, right? So, um, yeah, it's available. Go, uh, well, you, you can find it from all the links on the website. All right, people. So she came from the woods.
So we have a new uh, Shudder Horror, and it is called Unwelcome. Okay, people, so our next joint is something that looks at Irish folklore. Yes, it is called Unwelcome, and it is from director John Wright, who wrote, co-wrote the film with Mark Stay. It is produced by Piers Tempest and Peter Touche. It's executive produced by Matt Williams, Alison Thompson, Andrea Scarso, Doris Philantria, Jani Modar, Jamie Jessup, Mark Gouda, Sebastian Baker, Barker, and Joe Bamford. It is co-produced by Lauren Cox. Christian Henson handles the music. Hamish Doyne Ditmas, cinematography. Zofia Talas edits the piece. Kelly Valentine Hendry was on casting. Uh, production design is John Beard. Art direction is Sandra Phillips. Kathy Cosgrove is set decoration. Um, costume design is Annie Hardinge. Hair and makeup, we have Sophia Slotover. Christina Mallet, Chris Lines. Shawnee Harrison, Bay Bambi Brett, and Paula Ann Booker. So our cast, people. Well, Maya is played by Hannah John Harman. Her husband, Jamie, is played by Douglas Booth. We've got um, Daddy, a.k.a. Mr. Whelan, played by Colm Meany. His son, Eon, is played by Christian Nan Narin. Right, His other son, Killian, is played by Chris Worley. And... Um, gosh. His daughter... His daughter, Maeve. I think it is. No, his daughter isn't Maeve. Hmm. Well, that's irritating. Ah, his daughter Ashling is played by Jamie Lee O'Donnell. <clears throat> we have got um, Maeve owns the pub. She's no, she's the neighbour. She's played by Nim Kuzak. Um, this father Breeden played by Finbar Lynch. Um, Rory, played by Lalor Roddy. And right, we've got... Um, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I think, like, we've got the Red Caps, okay? So, um, Mr. Smith is played by... Well, voiced by Paul Warren. Um... The Mother is played by Ania Marson. Um, 
<clears throat> and the chief is voiced by Rick Walden. So, yes, that is it. Now, the gist of the story is this. A young couple escapes their urban nightmare to the tranquility of rural island, only to hear stories of mysterious beings who live in the gnarled ancient wood at the foot of their new garden. As warned by their new neighbour, Maeve, in Irish law, the Redcaps will come when called to help souls in dire need of rescue. But it's crucial to remember that there is always a dear price to pay for their aid. Yes. Now, there's a bit of a statement, right? It reads like this. Unwelcome undoubtedly falls into the ever popular genre of a creature feature horror. Meyer and Jamie move to rural Ireland thinking they're stand, starting a new life of tranquility and safety, only to discover there are malevolent creatures living at the bottom of their garden. Director John Wright and writer Mark Stay were inspired by films such as Gremlins and Straw Dogs and the terrifying concept of our home invasion, during which someone or something is in your home and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, John Wright describes Unwelcome's take on the genre as a horror movie as well as a creature feature. It's undoubtedly got some humour in it, and it has a lightness of touch. It never goes to a morbid or depressing place. As a movie, it's always entertaining, but it can also be extremely violent. However, there's, a more, uh, there's more to a good creature feature than weird and creepy gremlins wreaking untold havoc. As we see in Unwelcome, there's a human story at its core, a young couple escaping urban life, starting a family and building a home and future together. As Mark Stay explains, the best creature feature movies always have a human heartfelt element to them and an emotional family story at their center. If you took the horror element out, you would still have a compelling and watchable story that audiences can engage with. Um, yeah, the creatures within a creature feature are meant to show the audience a warped reflection of themselves. Um, when we see gremlin, werewolves, or aliens or in our case, a red cap, they're always representing a dark, shadowy side of ourselves as humans. For unwelcome, the red caps represent the potential for violence within all of us humans. If we're pushed to our limits, how violent can or will we become? So yes, that is, that's the thing. Now, this starts off, right, we have a little girl running through the woods, trying to hide. going to say the hiding place, a little whack, right? Uh, then we see a shadow fall over and a scream. Ooh. 
So now we're with um, <clears throat> this couple, Jamie and Maya. Uh, Jamie goes out to the corner shop after they get some news, right? So he's gone out, he's bought some champagne to celebrate. Now there's a group of guys, right, hanging out. They harass him going into the shop. So coming out, you know they're going to do that. And, you know, Jamie does the thing that you just, it's not always wise. Well, it's never wise to do, really. And, you know, what we see next, it's definitely a surprise, right? Because I think the expectation is for something else. So, yeah, the next lot of events are like, yo, fuck. So this all happens. And you're thinking, damn, right? Damn. A little weird, right? It's a little weird, but it, it, it's definitely gets a point across, right? Um, so then we have them driving in a car. It's a little bit later. They're driving in a car and we hear them, you know, going because one of Jamie's relatives, his grandmother, something like that, she's dead and she's left them this house. Right, so, you know, we have them go. They're in Ireland. New start. What do you think this couple probably deserve? You know, after everything that has gone down. And Maya is, um, yeah, she definitely needs it, for sure. Right, now, the idea, you know, when you think you're in the rate caps and all of this, I like it. I like the idea. It's pretty, you're like, oh, this could lead to so much. Lead to so much, people. I think, though, a thing that, you know, I just thought was a little, and, I mean, we get this fun scene in the pub, right, when they first walk into this pub. Because, listen, when you go into some rural pubs, right, you're the outsider, it can be icy as a motherfucker, so that was kind of, like, this scene's kind of amusing, right, but we do get the whole Irish-English thing, and oh, I do find it kind of tiring, you know what I mean, because we, like, anything with Irish, Scottish, Welsh, it's always, oh, fuck the British. Fuck the, you know what I mean? We don't like English people. Go back to your fucking own. And it's always this, right? And listen, I imagine, right, back in the day, yeah, there was definitely that. A lot more of that. You know, that was a lot of the IRA stuff back in the 80s, you know? 70s, 80s, man, it was going on for a long time, right? I don't think it's necessarily the case now. You know what I mean? Look, you've got a portion of the population that kind of wants, you know, independence. But I think people, um, we hate them, you know? So when this element gets played out for films and TV, you're just like, 
I mean, there's other routes into the story, you know, like, why are we doing this? We, we It just feels a little lazy, you know? So we have that element of it. Another thing that I just, again, a little bit of a bugbear for me, but we've got Ian Whelan, right? Played by Christian Narin, you know? The guy that played Hodor in Game of Thrones. Now, that character, you can think, you, you know, he's kind of on the spectrum, right? Now, as Game of Thrones, you, you understand what that's all about, right? But, yeah, that's essentially his character in Game of Thrones. And again, that's his character in this. And it's just like, really... You know, it, 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 it's just, again, it kind of feels lazy, right? There's other ways, right, we can get to where we want to get to with a story without having to be like, okay, so this big guy, let's have him slow. Let's have him, you know, not very quick, let's just say, right? We'll have him on the spectrum, and then he can do this stuff, and that, that will take us here, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yo, really? What are we doing? The other two Wheeling siblings, you know, they're all fucking British, blah, blah, blah. Right? You've got Paul Williams, Colin Meany's character. And again... Right, because we know that Maya and Jamie need their roof fixed. But you kind of think, right, if you're looking for help, right, you'd ask for advice. So they could ask the neighbor. They've met the na their neighbor, Maeve. They could ask her and be like, oh, is there a you know, builders you would recommend? Because you know it's definitely not the Whelan's. So it's very odd, and especially when you consider what they've been through, that they would fuck with the Whelans, right? That's very weird. And then when the Whelans turn up again, it's just like, firstly, how? Right? How? Because you know that Myra and Jamie ain't leaving their doors open. You know that. Right, so it doesn't really make any sense, and you know, you get because they try, they want to make this part comedy, so that's meant to be this light element, but it's just irritating. Well, I found it irritating anyway. You know what I mean? The, you know, the the whole red cap thing, right? Leaving the offering and all of that, and it's just the the whole garden, right? It's at the bottom of the garden. Now, what happened to Myra and Jamie wasn't in the garden. So, are you going like, oh, we don't want the neighbor in the garden was, again, a little bit weird. Because it seemed like you would never see the neighbor doing this thing. So, is that really a deal? Now, if it was in the house, you would get it, but it's not. It's the garden. So it just seemed a weird thing. And 
when the setup is this needs to be done, you know, obviously, it's going to get missed, right? It's going to get missed. So then it creates a situation. You know this. Right? It's all very, like, the first trip be into the woods felt very unnecessary. And especially when you consider Maya's condition, just a lot of the things done, you just think, I don't know if anyone in that condition would do those things. Right? So a lot of it felt very, huh? Why, though? Right? It's like in a horror movie when someone is by the exit. They can escape. But instead, they go, oh, escape is up the stairs. Right? And it's just like, wait, you could have gone out. You could have run to your neighbors, you know, got in the car. But you ran up the step. Like, why? Right? And so a lot of the actions were, why? Right? They just didn't make any sense. I think, right, in the statement, right, they're like, uh, both um, John and, uh, yeah, Mark are like, oh, they wanted to keep it lighthearted and not get too dark or, you know, but I'm just like, the entry to the film is a dark thing, right? So, I think addressing that thing in an intelligent way isn't going to bring anyone down, right? It's just something that makes sense. It's not depressing. It's logical. And we don't ever really get that, right? We don't get them addressing this thing in a way you would have to, right? You would have to. And so that's very odd, you know, like, oh, Jamie's got a boxing bag, right, technique is shit, terrible punches, homie's throwing, but you you know that's not enough, that's not doing anything, so, like, yeah, it, it felt like this was a really interesting concept, but I just, man, I, I, I I've got to say, I wasn't a fan of the execution, you know, just, it, it, it didn't really, it, you know, because I, I thought Gremlins, you know, that, I love Gremlins, man, Gremlins too as well, but it, it, you just felt that was a more logical, it was a Christmas present, you know, a little kid, right, trusting a little kid not to feed it after, you just think, Kids can get wrecked. Of course, they're gonna fuck up, right? So I think all the things that happened, you're like, yes, you know that's gonna happen, right? Obviously, it's gonna go to that place. So I think with that, it's a more logical film that you can go. Yes, I definitely believe that would go like that. You know what I mean? And, yeah, so that, I think that, for me, was, like, the fall-downs for Unwelcome, right? And a lot of the Red Cup stuff didn't necessarily make sense. I liked it at the start when we never really saw the Red Cap, right? There was a, a shadow, a quick movement. 
that made it very sinister. When you saw them, I, I, I just I thought, ah, oh, that's kind of taken me out of it a little, you know, unfortunately. But yeah, as it look, people, you know, horrors aren't really my thing. So if I really dig it, it that's something that's telling you something. You know what I mean? Like, I think with this one, if you, oh, I guess, you know, it's those old school films, you know, like Leprechaun, right? Stuff like that. If that's your jam, you know, if that's your jam, uh, then I think this will play for you. But you gotta like that kind of film, right? So think that old school kind of horror-y, jokey thing. And if you can go to yourself, yeah, that's my kind of horror. Then people, go and check Unwelcome. It is dropping um, very soon. Very soon, right? You will get it on the... uh, Gosh, I think it's the 26th, yeah? Um, Yes, I believe it would be Monday the 26th. So be able to get it on all your favorite VODs, you know? Um, Yeah, as well as Shudder. So people, unwelcome. Next up, people, Netflix are bringing us a sequel to a 2020 smash, right? It is Extraction 2. Okay, people, so Extraction 2. Yes, yes, that has just dropped. It is, again, directed by Sam Hargreave and written by Joe Russo. Um, The film is then produced by, well, Sam Hargreaves, Chris Hensworth, Eric Gitter. Uh, We've got Mike La. La Roca, Patrick Newell, Anthony and Joe Russo, Angela Russo Otsot, and Peter Sherwin. It is co produced by Matthew Stillman, Anthony J. Vorheis, Michael Salvin. David Minkowski, Shelby Malone, and Ari Costa. It's executive produced by Jake Oost, Benjamin Grayson, Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, And Stephen V. Scavelli. Um, 
It is associate produced by Murtaza Kafawala. Yep, that's it. Okay, music is Alex Beecher and Henry Jackman. Greg Baldi on cinematography. William Hoy and Alex Rodriguez edited the piece. Casting, we've got Sarah Finn, Krista Huzar, Tekla Javaka Kadid, Maya Kaventi, and Eka Mozahavadas. Philip Ivy is on production design. Art direction is Carlo Cressini, Tony Drew, Pavel Kejesi, Kumar Rahul, Dan Sharapa, Martina Te Akapawa, and Matt Wyan. Costume design, but Jennifer Lander and Rebecca John Stottertor. And our cast. Well, people, back is Chris Hensworth as Tyler Rake. We've got Golshay Farani as Nick Khan. And her brother, Yaz Khan, is played by Adam Besser. They're both back. Now, new, we have got um oh yes i probably should mention if i know who plays her yes mia who's played by olga kalenko because it all revolves around her sister ketivan radini Played by Tinatin Dalashkivi. Um, she's got a son, Sandro, played by Adro Chapa Diaz, and a daughter, Nina, who is played by Miriami Kovashavili and Marta Kovashavili. But she's young, so, you know, youngsters. They can only act for so many hours, right? So that makes sense. Now, her husband is David, who is played by Giga Shavadaz, um, as a nine-year-old. And the grown-up version is played by Tomik Bezavi. Um, his brother... Zurab is played by Tomik Gogaranchani, and his 12-year-old self is played by Demetri Kavalashvili. Um, then there is Avtandil, played by Dato Bakadaz. His 20-year-old self is played by David Kogavadaz. Um, there's Constine, played by Daniel Bernhardt, Ivani, played by Erkil Krilladaz, 
former MMA star Megan Anderson has a role in the piece, and uh, so does Idris Elba, who uh, shows up briefly. Um, yeah, there's other people involved, but I mean, there's so many, there's so many mercs and everything. I mean, I could go on for days. And also, I cannot pronounce these names, people. <laughs> I mean, gotta be honest about that. I am butchering the fuck out of all of this. So instead of embarrassing myself even more, I'm gonna say, let's go on to what this film is about, shall we? Okay, so after barely surviving his grievous wounds from his mission in Dhaka, in Dhaka, Bangladesh, Tyler Rake is back and his team is ready to take on their next mission. So, uh, yeah. Now, we looked at Extraction, right, back in 2020. It was episode 87. 87 of the podcast, people. I mean, this is episode 260. So, boy, <laughs> a lot has happened in between. You know, but that film, you know, that was there during lockdown. That was a great distraction. And I enjoyed the fuck out of it. Right? One thing I did not know, you know, I did not know that both films are adaptations of Andre Park's graphic novel, Ciudad. So, yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I might have to try and look into that. So I'm imagining it's either real big or there's volumes, you know what I mean? But, yeah, extraction to, I mean... When the first one ended, you knew he wasn't dead, right? You, because at, if you remember at the beginning of Extraction 1, there's a bit where he jumps off the big cliff into the water and then is like sitting on the bottom of the, on the lake, like doing breathing exercises. So when he went in, I knew that, look, you don't show things like that unless they impact the story somehow. So I knew, however it happened, he was going to survive. You know what I mean? So we we see all of that, right? We see what happens. Because he's in, when we first, he's in a hospital bed, you know, all chewed up. Then we see all of these events, you know, which a little confusing because a lot of we see a lot of soldiers pulling him out of the water. And I'm just like, wait, who what soldiers are these? Why would they? And then they fly him to the UAE. And again, it's just like Arr. but you know, the Khans come, look after him. You know, it looks like he's in a coma for ages, and then he wakes up. Wakes up. Now the opening bit of this film did remind me 
of the last of Nolan's Batman films. What was it? It was like the Dark Knight Rises Again or something, something. You know, the one with Bane, right? Because Bane breaks his back. Breaks Batman's back. And he's just in a prison shell, prison cell even, doing press-ups and chin-ups. Menzi's broken back. Like, who the funk it, right? Like, well, that's all you have to do. <laughs> now, this, this film has its own just ridiculous because he then gets approached by um, Elba's character, right, to, to do this mission. Because the cars drop him off in Austria, in this cabin. And they're like, yo, when you when you have something to live for, let us know. Right? And so, um, you know, Elva's like, oh, you've got six weeks. Right? Six weeks. Who knows how that number came about. But we then see him. Because at this point, his arm's in a sling. You know what I mean? Arms in a sling. We, we have no clue what the severity is, but the arm's in a fucking sling, right? So now he's doing press-ups, sit-ups, chopping wood, does all of this kind of stuff, push, pulling a sledge, sleigh, whatever you call it, you know what I mean? Just doing all of these things, and it's just like, nah, <laughs> you ain't getting back to top fitness in six weeks after being in a coma for ages, right? You've got muscle deterioration, you know, just your joints have all seized up. It's just not happening. It's not happening. It's some crazy ass shit. So that goes down. Now, the big thing is, uh, because remember, like, it's extraction, right? So they're extracting people. And the first one, I think, look, I rewatched it because I could not remember what the fuck happened, to be honest. And with this, you know, with that one, he saves the boy, you know, the gangster son, kidnapped. And everything that happened, you can be like, all right, yeah, I see that. I can see that. Right, the double cross and all of those kind of things, you were like, Man, that makes sense, you know. So it's just like, Okay, what's the hook? And the initial part of the story, you can be like, Okay, I get it. I mean, I didn't know that was a thing, you know. And listen, this is a story, but I'm kind of imagining that. This is something that has happened, maybe, or does happen, you know? But it does seem a crazy fucking thing, right? I've heard of conjugal visits, but this takes the biscuit, right? And it's funny that Elba's in it, because there is that, that part of Fallen Sun, which is a little similar, you know? And it was ridiculous in Fallen Sun. And it's ridiculous in this. Because it's just, there's so many people, man. There's so many people. You're just like, yo, nah. <laughs> you ain't getting out. You ain't getting out like that. You feel? 
You know what I mean? The, the thing I did like about this film is that the Khans have more of a role. Right, they had more of a role, and uh, like you know, they're in the you know they do some stuff in the first one, but it's not a lot, and it's at the very end that Nikki, Nick, you know, she comes and she's fire, you know, and then Yaz is in a helicopter, but this one they're basically throughout the film they're there doing their thing, so that was good, that was good, you know, flesh out the characters a little bit. Though, I will say, there is a big thing that happens, and you can see it happen. You can, you can, you understand, oh, yeah, something's happening to that person. You you can see it from the giddy up. Just from the giddy up. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that, 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 that's the person that's gonna, you know? So there is that. It's, Listen, there's if you love explosions, there's a lot of explosions, people. There's a lot of explosions. There's car chases, all of this kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, that's okay, right? This film is just over two hours. And I did feel that there's a lot of places it did kind of seem to drag a bit. And there was just these scenarios, right? It seemed that these top extraction experts seemed that they're being mad sloppy, right? So fucking sloppy. It's crazy, right? The bit on the plane, people, you know? It's just like, I'm, you're not leaving the kid and just... Mm, and then there's the, <laughs> there's the bit when they're standing when you know Rake and Sandro are sta standing on the balcony, and Sandro tells him something, and literally at that moment the helicopter arrives. You're just like, shut up! No, 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 no! Come on now! Oh, as soon as he said, that's when the head. No, 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 not buying it, not buying it, people. And um, that that bit is weird as well, because we get this conversation, right, this big conversation. I don't even know why Rake would start off with the way he started off. It's, it's a fucking kid. See, kids don't... They're not going to get nuance and, you know, the whole regret and the tortured soul. They're not. No, no. But the kid says one thing, right? Which seems very pointless for them what happens afterwards. And it's just like when you've seen so much, seen so much, you were there. You witnessed everything. The things that happen, it, it's hard to, oh, it's hard to jump on board with them, you know? And that's knowing how fucking stupid kids can be, right? That's knowing all of that. It, 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 there's, there's a level of ridiculous with this film that is a bit much. 
right? The whole roof thing. Ooh, I mean, it's exhilarating, right? And, oh, like just the height fit and just, oh, man, every moment I'm just like, yo, <laughs> yo, nah, man, come on. Come the fuck on. And, and then it's just, you ain't holding people like that. You ain't doing that. That's, that's just, no, your arm is dislocating. This is silly. This is silly. And the amount of time everyone can, you If you think homie takes shots in that first film. <laughs> Yo, my man gets shot so many fucking times. So many. Everyone gets shot so many times. Right? And you're just like. Come on, come on, yo. There's a bit when two people are standing in front of each other shooting. And I'm just like, firstly, one's meant to be wearing armor. And secondly, it's just like, she's meant to be, they're meant to be a good shot. So you, they're basically in front of each other. And you're saying that a shot ain't that, yo, there's just so much that's just like, come on, man, I know what you're trying to do, I know what you're trying to do, but you are taking the mickey, son, you are taking the mickey with this shit, you know what I mean? And it obviously, listen, it ends with a setup for a third film. Right, which did then get announced at the recent Netflix event. So it's just like, okay, we're getting more. Now, it's over the top. It feels a little long. And it's real fucking ridiculous. Right? More so than the first. So it's not... I don't think it's as good as the first film. You know, I don't think the script is as tight as the first one. You know, just too many random things, right? And people just doing things that make no sense, you know? Making no sense, right? There's too much of that shit. But on the flip, I, it does. it's still better than a lot of action flicks out there, you know? It's still better than a lot of fucking action flicks out there. So there is that, right? If you're a fan of the first film and you just love that ridiculous, you know, nature of things, then you'll probably still dig the second film, you know? You probably will, people, right? It's like... um. You know, think stuff like Triple Frontier, you know, that Netflix joint, or Six Underground, right? Just stuff like that. If that's your bag, then, yeah, Extraction 2 will work for you, you know? So, uh, yeah, people, it's now live on Netflix. Go check it out. And, you know... I'll put the link for the first review 
on the website as well. So you can go check that if you feel, people. If you feel. Okay. We'll just stay tuned for the next Tyler Rake adventure, it would seem. Mm-hmm. Extraction 2, baby. And people, thanks to Signature, we will end on a new documentary. It's about Stephen King, and it is called King on Screen. Okay, people, so the good people at Signature sent me Stephen King on screen. So I figured I'd uh, give it a look. It's a documentary about Stephen King adaptations, right? It is directed by Dafan Bailey. Uh, the film is then produced by Sebastian Cruz, right? It is executive produced by Christopher Dean McAfee. Um, we also have um, co-production from K Destiny, uh, Antonine Fankruch, Mern Ferda, Celine Lageda, and we have Mikey Raymond and Nicolaus Rochecross. Um, Nicolaus Pike handles the music. Mark Connick is on cinematography. Dean Andre and Ryan Fugelman handle the sound. Um, Oraline Jacks and Laurent Vassini are on visual effects. Uh, yes, and our cast. Well, it's kind of um, twofold with a cast. Because we start off with this, I don't know, it was like this kind of short vignette and so in this we have got um mike garris bill phillips miko hughes ed wheeler carol strucken tim curry d wallace alexandra paul amy Irv irving james khan and jeffrey daman Okay, then we have a slew of filmmakers, right? We have uh, Frank Darabont, Mike Flanagan, Greg Nicotero, John Harrison, Taylor Hackford, Fraser C. Heston, Josh Boone, um, Daniel... Atin, Atius, Mick Garris again, Vincenzo Matali, Louis Teague, Tom Holland, Tom McLaughlin, uh, Mikhail Hafstum, Kevin Kosh, Dennis Widmere, 
Todd Williams, David Curson, Mikael Solomon, Fritz Krish, Craig Baxley, Zach Hit Hitchcock, Scott Hicks, Jeff Beasley, Mark Lester, JP Scott, and James Douglas. So uh, a, a slew of people that I'm sure you know fans of the genre will recognize. Okay, so the gist of the film is this. 1976, Brian De Palma directs Carrie, the first novel to by Stephen King. Since more than 50 directors adapted the master of horrors books in more than 80 films and series, making him now the most adapted author still alive in the world. What's so fascinating with him that the directors can't stop with that? What's so fascinating with him that the directors can't stop adapting his books? The feature documentary King on Screen reunites filmmakers that have adapted King's books for cinema and TV. In the cast, more than 25 directors um, sit down to talk. It is a movie made for the fans and with the fans led by an international ambition. So, yeah, there you have it, people. It's, um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting, right? I've definitely um, watched a few Stephen King's films, right? Like um, Shawshank Redemption. You know what I mean? Um, Misery, yo. Misery is just, they, they showed a clip. I mean, they showed a clip of all of these films, right? And... The, the leg hobbling scene in Misery is one that still just makes you cringe. Oh, man, it's brutal. It's brutal. And then especially because you don't, you see one hit and the other hit you don't see. But it's just the look, right? It's the looks that you get that just really make it just horrendous for you. So, yeah, there's those. Um, Matt, I think the big thing is there's a lot of Stephen King adaptations that you don't realize were from King. You know what I mean? Which is always a, an interesting one. Carrie, right? I enjoy Carrie. There's a lot, though, that I have not seen. Right? I've never seen Christine. I've never seen The Green Mile. Um, Gerald's Game. Um, I haven't seen the new it. I tried to watch the old it TV series, and that man, I was fucking young. I was, I forget how old I was. I was real young when I watched that. I tried to watch it the first time, and I got to the bit with um with the the clown in the sewer. Right, and he gives the balloon, and then he drags the kid. Yeah, I, I, I was just like, I, I, you know, what I mean? when you're just gripped in front of the TV and you cannot move, and you're just like, oh, 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 fuck. <laughs> so I did not go near 
the new adaptations. I hear they're good, ain't watched them, ain't watched them. Um, and there's a lot of stuff like that, right? Uh, yeah, I'm just like, oh man, I don't think I, I don't think I'm gonna go near that, right? I tried to do the book, and yeah, I had to stop, I had to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the shining, yeah, did the shining. Finally. I, I was mad late on that one. But yeah, like Doctor Sleep haven't done. Yeah, so there's a lot I haven't done. I tried to do the stand. I hated the stand. But watching this, I didn't know that they adapted it in 2020. Yeah, didn't know. I'm wondering what that version is like. You know, I I think I was aware that they did a um another version of The Shining, but yeah, didn't know. I, I'm not quite sure. One thing I wasn't aware of watching this, King acted in a lot of um, these adaptations. He has little parts and stuff, which is interesting. You know, and not just one; it was several. So I'm like, okay. Yo, my man can write and he can act. I think the biggest thing with me with King was um just him talking about the writing process on um the Joe Rogan experience was fascinating. Like fascinating. There's you know, he can't remember writing Kojo. Can't remember it. Right, a lot of those books, he was just, man, just out of his face, which is so interesting that he could still turn out books that so many people will hold up as their favorite ever book, right? A masterpiece. And this is the thing. So we, we hear from all of these um, directors, producers, and whatnot. And they're talking about what these books mean to them. Right? Having that opportunity to adapt a book. Right? The pressure that comes with that. You know, we got the story about um, Kubrick. Right? Doing The Shining, which I think... Everyone knows King does not like Kubrick Shining, right? And not reading the book, I don't really know how much it differs. I think suppose from this, you get the, the, the viewpoint, there's the supernatural element has gone, but I don't know. But how that then was a weight on so many other directors, because then it's like, Okay, we're worried because we know he hated The Shining. So what can we change? Like, what should we do? How can we do this? Because no one wants, you know, your favorite author to hate your attempt at adapting their work, right? So you can imagine that being this crazy huge thing. So it's like, oh, man. So just hearing from all of these you know, people and talking about their experience on set, you know, how they did it, the worries, the concerns, just, you know, um, 
we hear about the Green Mile and how Tom Hanks was a real, you know, solid dude on set, right? Which is like, okay, I mean, they're all interesting stories. Yeah, so I, I think someone that has watched all of these films, you know, read the books, I think they will probably find this fascinating. I found it interesting as, yeah, I think not watch, not having watched all of these films or read the books, I think there's, there's, there is a level where you're like, okay, but I don't know. I, I don't know. And because horror is a weird thing for me, I, you know, because I have to watch a lot of it. I get sent so many motherfucking horror films, right? So there's stuff I watch, but it's not a genre I will just watch in my free time. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not even, I'm not watching that shit at nighttime, people. That's a daytime thing, you feel me? So it usually with something like this, I might be like, yo, I need to check all of these out. Not with these, right? Not with these so there is that uh slight disconnect for me but it, it, you know i think everyone talks with this excitement right and you can see the love they have for this material which is fascinating right and all of that comes across i did I hated the weird framing device for it, right? This this little, I don't know, weird kind of thing where a woman's cutting it. And there seems, because like, yeah, I haven't watched all the stuff, but it did seem that there was like so many references thrown into the books, right? But, I, I, it did nothing for me. That did nothing for me. Now, I guess it might mean more to people who are deep in this shit. You know, it might do that. For me, it it meant nothing. I thought it was kind of hammy. Um, yeah, it it was just a weird addition. All the other stuff, fascinating. You know, and just the the pop culture element of King, right? How his influence has, you know, been in things like The Simpsons, Rick and Morty, just so many other shows that will reference and pay homage to, you know, the books or certain iconic scenes from the films, Right, Shawshank is one that's always done the shining, you know, is Johnny. Um, so yeah, just the fact that Stephen King has become this social icon, right? This social icon, and it's fascinating, fascinating, you know, how it has happened and how you know it started. It started in the 70s, and then it suddenly had this resurgence recently. You know, I, I think there was that um, 
Under the Dome, was it Under the Dome? Right, you had that TV series, and then just you saw all these other things getting made all of a sudden. So, yeah, it is fascinating how someone can have this longevity. And, you know, the, I did hear that some of the newer books weren't as good. But all of a sudden, now I'm hearing the books have really picked up again. So, yeah. It looks like Stephen King is going to be around for people for a long ass time. And with so many adaptations, it's going to be here even longer, you know? So, yeah, I think if you're a Stephen King fan, you will find this very interesting. So, um, yes, people, it is, you know, available on the 26th. Right from all your favorite digital platforms, and if you still like the um, the twenty sixth of June, people, that's on Monday. Okay. Um, now, if as I say, if you like the physical, you know what I mean, the DVD, the Blu Ray, those will be dropping. What's that say? The eighteenth of September. So mark the dates down, people. And you can get you some Stephen King on screen. Okay, people. So before we close the door on this week's episode, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film, shall we? Well, we have got some new dates for a few films. The third Sonic the Hedgehog film, right, will be dropping on the 20th of December 2024. Right, we then have got the Minecraft adaptation, which is all locked for the 4th of April 2025. And then there is Wicked. Okay, so part one will be coming on the 27th of November, 2024. And part two will be the 26th of November, 2025. So there's those dates are for your calendar. Now... When Farsex dropped, we then got news that Dwayne Johnson had walked back on his, you know, little feud he had with Vin Diesel and would had appeared in the film and was also going to be in a new spin-off, right, which is supposedly bridging the gap between, yeah, Fast X, and then the next film, right? So um, this new spin-off has a title. It will be known as Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Reyes, right? So Reyes is the um, Jason Momoa character. So there's going to be something with that, right? Hmm. Got to say, don't really care. But I'm sure if you're a big Fast and Furious fan, that's great for you. You know what I mean? So awesome. Uh, 
Now, Chad Stransky has confirmed, right, that a director's cut on John Wick Chapter 4 is nearly done. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that will be dropping on the upcoming DVD and Blu-ray. But maybe they will drop it in the cinemas as well. Who knows? Right? Who knows? We will have to see. Now, um, the Oscars always changing the rules, right? And they put some new rules in place. They will come into play for the 97th edition, which will be in 2025. But that means the films released in 2024 will have to abide by these rules, right? Now, basically, it's around... The theater release. Right? So, in the past, you could release a film for a week, right? And a lot of the streaming platforms would do it, release it for a week, and then it goes on the platform. But that means your film is now open for an Oscar nom. That's changing, right? They're saying that. It has to go on a longer run. Now, streamers would do that, but also smaller films, right? If you're not a studio-backed film, you don't necessarily have the funding for the, you know, the cinema. So, you know, you do wonder about some of these rules the Oscars are throwing. Because it they do seem to be trying to stack things right, in a larger company's favor, but really, who gives a fuck about the Oscars, you know what I mean, it's all paid for anyway, some dishonest shit, people, my views, but I believe them to be true, (laughs) okay, now, um, you know, recently dropping was the Craven Hunter trailer, right, so that's part of Sony's Marvel Universe, and, um, you know, there's Madam Web coming, a film that was supposedly going to be part of it was El Maturo, right, starring Bad Bunny, it was a luchador-inspired tale, but that has um, been pulled off the schedule, because, uh, yeah, well, Bad Bunny's touring, because he's a musician, right, but also we got the, um, yeah, we've got the writer's strike, which is interrupting everything, so, you know, who knows what will happen, if this will continue, or if it will just get lost, we will have to um, watch this space, it would seem. So um, here's some news, right? Guardians of the Galaxy still holding strong in the top 10, but we know it will be coming to digital on the 7th of July, and it will be dropping on Blu-ray and 4K on the 1st of August, right? The disc will have... Eight deleted scenes, featurettes, a gag reel, 
and director's commentary. Okay. Um, Across the Spider-Verse, right, is killing it. Now, there's all talk around sound issues, alternative cuts, you know, animators being treated badly. All of that hasn't stopped this film from going past the half billy mark, right? It is making church change. So, uh, yeah, pretty impressive, people. Also, another big hit, right? We looked at it this week, Extraction 2. You know, Netflix, um, <clears throat> well, they changed the way they're kind of viewing numbers and all of that. And so, yeah, it has become the most successful film of uh, 2023 so fast. You know, originally that was The Mother, but yeah. Old Tyler Rake has stormed in and extracted that number one spot for themselves, right? Supposedly it was viewed um, in the first weekend with uh, by 42.8 million people. That's over three days. That is a lot. 88 million hours in so so sane right boy now talking about uh that um film actually no we will skip that bit right now comic con right san diego end of july loads of you know studios would go to hall h and announce new product new yeah new products, new productions, right, you'd see trailers, behind the scenes footage, you know, extended scenes, sometimes they would screen a film before it drops, right, but it seems this year, our whole slew of studios are skipping it, right, Marvel, they're not going, Lucasfilm, HBO, Netflix, Universal Pictures, Sony Pictures. Um, yeah, we don't know what will happen with Warner Brothers, Paramount, Lionsgate, you know. But I think a big part of it is the writer's strike, right? No one can actually confirm if they'll have these things ready in time, you know? So, who knows how that's going to hit San Diego, because those, you know, got to say, those cons, not making the uh, cake that they used to back in the day, for a whole heap of reasons, right? whole heap of reasons. And let's end with this, right? So, Ryan Murphy, he's had a big deal at um, Netflix, right? 300 million, right? And he did stuff like um, Hatchet, Hallstrom, The Politician, right? He did um, The Prom, The Boys in the Band, um, 
He also had uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, Monster, um, The Watcher, right? Some um, big ones that were very successful. But that deal is drawing to a close, you know? And he's not re-upping because he has now signed a bigger-ass deal to move over to Disney. Interesting, right? Interesting because he was originally at 20th century, look, 20th century television, right? That was before they got bought by Disney. So, um, yeah, you know, he's gone back home essentially, right? Now, he already had Posse American Horror Story 911 set up at, you know, at Disney, right? So, yeah. We'll see some uh, interesting big things from Murphy, I imagine, at the House of Ideas. You know what I mean? So, uh, people, that is us for another week. Um, yeah, we've got some good stuff dropping next week. I know that. And our Dances with Films coverage. Boy, we have a lot of fun stuff coming on that front, people. So, um, yeah. Make sure you follow that, right? Follow us on Instagram. Don't, you know, some stuff goes on Twitter, um, but mainly Instagram. You know what I mean? Make sure you subscribe to the website so you get all those notifications when episodes drop. Share with your friends. And people, we will see you next week for Echo Chamber. But yeah, follow our festival coverage because that's basically dropping every motherfucking day. Alright, so until next week, peace.